Welcome to the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast, where we untangle the past, rewrite the present, and reclaim our future. I am your host, Tammy Vincent, and together we will break free from old patterns, heal wounds, and create new narratives. Are you ready to transform the effects of your dysfunctional past into your superpowers? Are you excited to get back in touch with your true authentic self? If so, then hit subscribe and join me weekly on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. Here we will learn from experts as well as experienced thrivers how to turn our trials into smiles while living our most authentic and joyful lives. Well, hello and welcome to another episode. I'm super excited to have you guys back here. Today we have a special guest. Chanel Bodero. She is a single mother of three, a master esthetician, if I said that right, and a mental health advocate. Um, she's to the, here today to talk about her childhood surrounded by severe mental disorders. And we're just going to have a little chat and come to find out why she's here and why she's doing the great things she's doing. So welcome, Chanel. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So as you know, the podcast is called um, adult child is dysfunction. So what we're basically trying to give people is stories of hope after dysfunction and how you got from surviving to thriving or trials to triumph, whatever you want to call it. So tell us a little bit about your story and kind of how you got on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So um, my story is kind of interesting. Um, so I was raised by a mother who had has um, DID, which is dissociative identity disorder, but it was formerly known as MPD, multiple personality disorder, which is what most people still know it as. Um, I was basically an only child until I was 15. So it was just me and my parents. Um, so I was involved in a lot of like adult interactions because I was just the only kid. Um, but yeah, I grew up with what I thought at the time was very normal. Um, and then as I got older, things got kind of worse and worse. Um, when I became a teenager and then a, an older teenager and then a young adult, um, I started to really notice how dysfunctional and how toxic um, my relationships were with my parents and just how I was raised. Um, and it really took me until I had my first son when I became a mother that I was like a light bulb just kind of went off. And I was like, what on earth? Like I looked at my little baby and I'm like, okay, well, I would never do that to him, but my mother did that. And I like, it started to really get my wheels turning of how do I want to parent this child? But all I have to go off of is what my parents did. And now I'm starting to understand things that I didn't like about it or things that I just didn't agree with it. And um, kind of coming to this point, I think the biggest decision, like the deciding factor or like that pivotal moment where I decided to kind of change the course was when I realized that other people's issues, other people's trauma other people's dysfunction, other people's disorders, you know, you could just keep going, wasn't my responsibility. Um, and I could choose me, like I could choose me and that was okay. Um, and I actually, not everyone's situation turns into this, but 
I actually cut contact with my mother and my father, and I haven't spoken to them in seven years. Um, and I decided to just break the cycle fully, like cold Turkey. We're just not doing that anymore. Um, and I've really focused the last seven years on trying to understand the difference between toxicity and like healthy relationships, um, and how I really want to parent my children while also getting myself therapy and trying to, you know, heal myself so that I can be a good mother to my kids. And then hopefully, you know, maybe a wife again one day, all of that, but really no kind of a healthy situation to be in. Um, but yeah, I think that's why I'm here is I share that story and I want to share my childhood because as a kid and a teenager, I used to search for stories like mine and could never find them. And now that, you know, internet is so much more prevalent and like podcasts and books and all of that. I hope that my story can reach some little girl, a little boy. That's like, I'm just in a weird situation and I hope I can find something to relate to. And I hope that I can do that. Well, that's awesome because I mean, really that's what it's about. There needs to be this, there needs to be advocates out there and there needs to be people out there telling their story because, you know, you can be a psychiatrist and telling your story and that's great, but they need to know like, oh, it's just, it's a little old me, you know, like I look at it and I go, it's just me. Like, yeah, it, nothing, nothing crazy about me. I'm just a normal person. I just went through junk and it's okay. If you're going through junk, go get yourself help. Like you deserve it. You are the number one. You are worthy of all the love and attention and everything else. Um, that's awesome. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that and it's, I've had so many of these stories and so many of them, the pivotal moment revolves around the child or the baby getting ready to be born. Um, mine was very similar. Mine was when I was reading the book, I love you forever. Do you remember mm -hmm. that children's book? Yep. And I'm rocking back and forth and I'm all like, you know, happy go lucky. And then all of a sudden it was like, I had like a complete meltdown. Like, how am I supposed to love this baby, this innocent, pure beautiful baby love it unconditionally when I don't even know what that means exactly so it's like it starts it and it starts a journey and I always say man I wish when I was being beaten there was internet like where was google when I needed them you know right where was google when I needed all these resources and all these people and all the internet and that wasn't around back then so it's like it's almost like it's fortunate because we are at an age where people can step up and tell their story and be visible and instead, you know, and not make these people see, you know, not make these children especially feel like they have nowhere to go, nowhere to go. Yeah. So you mentioned, I mean, I can't even imagine how frightening as a child it would be to live with someone with the multiple personality disorder. Um, give me an example of like something that would happen that you would go, okay, this isn't right. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I, when I think back to my childhood, I actually don't have a ton of memories from when I was really young, but the ones that I do have were either like on the extreme of so good. And then on the extreme of, okay, I know something's wrong. Um, and I think kind of a little backstory just to kind of make it make sense is, so my mother was severely abused as a child, severely, okay. like physical, sexual, emotional cult, all of it. Oh, wow. Um, which is why she has the disorder. It's man-made. And so in her defense, she definitely tried to break the cycle. 
But really, I think what happened was instead of being physical and sexual, it turned into just emotional and mental um, and a little bit verbal, I would say. Um, So she took out part of that abuse, but the others were still there, right? Um, And so as a child, I was never beaten. I was never touched inappropriately, but I was, there's a thing called emotional incest. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely my growing up for sure. Um, My mother just focused on me all the time. As a child, I thought, oh, I'm so special. But really, it was just incredibly toxic. And then my dad only focused on my mom. So it was this like weird triangle of like, Mm -hmm. I'm put on a pedestal, and then I don't care. Like, I'm not really, it was weird. Like, my parents were very split in that sense. They're still married, they're still together. But it was a very weird situation growing up and kind of confusing when you have one parent that puts you way up here and then you have another parent that never puts you up there. And it's like, where do I go? So I think my biggest memories of my mother's disorder, if I go, if I just categorize it with that would be situations where I thought she would react one way Mm -hmm. and it was the exact opposite, whether it was positive or negative. Um, For example, I have one memory where my parents had this huge potted plant and it was real, like real soil, everything in the house. And I knocked it over. I was probably like 10, maybe I knocked it over. And I just instantly was like, oh God, I am in so much trouble. Like I, I am in deep, deep trouble. And my mother walked in and she saw it and she looks at it and I'm over here like, I'm screwed. Like. And she just looked at me and she was like, it's fine. Let's just clean it up. And I remember in like vividly being like, okay, well, that's not my mom. Like as a 10 year old being like, yeah, that's, that's not, that's not her. Granted, it was more of a positive situation because I wasn't in trouble. But then on the other end, I remember being, I don't know, maybe like seven, eight and maybe even younger. And I got new church shoes. And I love the typical like nineties, like white leather with the chunky Mm -hmm. heel and like the cutout flowers with the little strap. Yeah. All of us in our thirties are like, yes, we know exactly what those Mm -hmm. are. Um, and I remember I was like, mom, I was in the bathroom. I was sitting on the, the top counter, looking in the mirror at my shoes and just like admiring them. And she came in and I said, mom, can I wear them to school tomorrow? She was like, no. And I was like, please, like all kids please let me wear them to school tomorrow. No Chanel. And I'm like, but mom. And it was like this flip of a switch where she stood up and she basically almost punched a hole in the wall because I asked to wear my shoes three times. And that's another experience. Like, right. Like it was just so scary as like a seven-year-old to then all of a sudden see your mom blow up so bad because I asked to wear my shoes and basically punch a hole in the wall. And I think like when I talk about the stories, none of them sound super intense or super like she punched me, which she didn't. But when you grow up in that situation of you never know what you're getting when you wake up in the morning, your mother is never consistent. You don't know what she's going to react like. So you're walking on eggshells as a six-year-old for the rest of your childhood growing Mm -hmm. up it really changes how you cope. 
and how you develop. And I don't think I really realized how dysfunctional that was until I got married. Right. And I realized that I didn't know how to talk for myself. I didn't know how to process emotions. I didn't know how to have an argument or a disagreement. I didn't, I just didn't know anything. It was like a whole new thing as an adult where I'm like, wait, am I angry? Should I be angry? I don't know. I have no, because I had to be so even all the time Mm -hmm. growing up to make sure I didn't rock the boat Mm -hmm. that I just was so, it was a habit then. It was just who I was at the time. I remember telling my therapist that I was like, yeah, I wake up at a five every morning as like a good thing. She was like, honey, that's a trauma response. (laughs) I was like, no, it's not. She's like, yes, it is. That's not normal. You do. No one wakes up at a five every single morning. Like that's just not normal. And that's what made me realize starting to like process, like, okay, my trauma responses are very like internal and they seem positive but they're not. They're very much where I just don't know how to be a person sometimes. Like I don't know how to actually express myself. Oh yeah. That's, t- I mean, that's a hundred percent normal. I remember the first time I went to a therapist and they were like, you know, walked through a couple things. So I asked about my week and then they're like, well, how does that make you feel? And I stopped and I was like, feel mm-hmm. like, what do you mean feel like, you know, does that make yeah. you angry? Does it make you sad? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't like I was, it wasn't even like I was shocked. I was just like, oh, are you supposed to feel like, and I was already married with a child at this point. And I'm like, feel, (laughs) it was so funny. So now it's like when I, when I work with people and I tell them, you know, you really have to be aware. I mean, the first thing is just being aware that you even have emotions, like wait for them to come and then sit with them. And people are like, well, then I have to process. I have to do this. And I, I said, no, step one. You just have to know that you have options and that sometimes can take years. I mean, literally years before you're just walking around. I was always the happy person. Like I was like, you know, just this happy go lucky did everything Mm -hmm. happiest person in the world. You would have never people like when they hear my story, they're like, there's no way. And I'm like, yeah. And it's almost like I look back at it now. And I look back about some of the situations as a child. It's almost like I was standing outside of my body going, look at that. That's interesting, but not scared, not afraid, not anything, just interesting. That's me, you know? And, and it's one, you know, it's, it's kind of scary. You know, it's my mother, my mother was, I'm older. So back then I don't even think when you were drinking, it was automatically just, you're an alcoholic. You're, you're crazy. That was, that was it. And that's as far as it went. So I remember my mother was actually a child psychiatrist. So I look Whoa. back at it now and think, okay, had there been an official diagnosis, who knows, who knows? Yeah. I mean, at the very minimum bipolar, because it was the same thing. I could be sitting there laughing, joking, talking. And the next thing, you know, she's pouring hot, boiling hot water down my brother's back for zero reason. Oh my so God. It's like, you know, so like you said, I mean, you grow up differently because you grow up, you do have to keep an even keel. You have to. Or, or else you're literally, I mean, completely hypervigilant to everything around you. Yeah. And I mean, I still, I mean, I'm, we're all guilty of it all the time, almost, you know, it becomes kind of who you are, but it's, it's much more freeing once you get out of that and you can go, wait a minute, that made me mad. And I'm going to say something. I don't care what people think yeah. about me. I don't care what they, you know, but it takes years and years and years, but it's doable. It's for sure doable. 
Yeah, you just have to unlearn everything. It's mm-hmm. crazy. And did what? So, what kind of, I guess, modalities, or did you go through different therapies? Was there one? Was there? Um, it was more just talk therapy okay. uh, for the ones that I went to, and a lot of it was just. I'm very, I'm a big expression type person when it comes to writing. So I do a lot of poetry. I've always been like that ever since I was like 13. Um, and so I can just like write and write and write if I'm in the right mood and it can just keep coming. Um, and I think that really helps me get things out. Um, I also, I, it's funny. And sometimes when I tell people this, they're like, wait, really? And I'm like, yeah, like even now at 34 years old, my parents haven't been in my life for seven years. So I've been able to cut out that toxicity and that constant kind of like guilt and shame and manipulation. And then I'm finally, you know, divorced from my ex-husband. So then that, because most of us, I feel like that go through really trauma, toxic, toxic, like dysfunctional families end up like just jumping into a dysfunctional marriage. (laughs) It's so common. Um, And so that's basically what happened. And after that, I finally was like, okay, it still takes me a while, but I know I'll be like, that should make me mad. Mm-hmm. I don't know why yet. And I have to process it for like three days. Yeah. And it's still for like at 34 years old, it still takes me sometimes days to kind of process or at least come up with like the words that I need to say to express how I know I should have felt which sounds so weird and confusing, but it's true. Or I've gotten to the point where sometimes I go extreme and all of a sudden I'm just super angry, but I don't know why. So I haven't, it's like that one or over here and I'm like, okay, I need to somehow eventually get into the middle, but at least I'm feeling or acknowledging and expressing some way, whether it's just communicating that like, I feel off, but I don't know why. Or me apologizing being like I'm so sorry I got so angry I don't know why yet but when I figure it out I'll let you know like that's kind of where I'm at right and the 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 amnesia and the dissociative amnesia this is just kind of crazy because I'm a very I'm just a dissociative person that's how that was my coping skill I stepped back yeah absolutely I, my stories are very much filled in. The blanks are filled in. If you talk to my brother, my sister, and I, you would never know the three of us lived in the same house even because our perception and our, is our reality. And yeah. um, I was my father's, probably my father's favorite and my mother's least favorite. So it kind of the same, you know, it was the yeah. same, the opposite. So my father totally overcompensated for what my mother wasn't giving me for, you know, telling me she hated me and all that stuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was the overcompensating one, but you develop different coping skills. It's just what you do. Yeah. um, The, does it ever worry you that, you know, potentially because that was the coping skill that your mother developed from a traumatic life, that that was something that you do too, or will do. It's something I think about all the time. So, oh, this might make me cry, but we actually, it, it's not make like cry, in a bad but... way. No, it's a good, it was like a good aha moment for me. And it literally just happened last week. But, um, like I try my parent, my children, it is a fear of mine of like, 
okay, I got to be really careful or I got to make sure that I don't do this, but I do more of this so that I can try and raise very independent, but also very like they're allowed to just be who they are. I'm not trying to prevent them from being anyway. I'm not trying to keep them super close. Like I'm trying to respect them and show them boundaries because boundaries was never a thing for me growing up ever. Not until I literally cut contact. Like my mother stole my identity at 21 years old. She conned me out of money. She like tried to meddle into my marriages and my relationships to where like they would end up in like separations because of it. Like so much meddling and just no boundaries whatsoever that I try really hard to do that. And so my, my kids don't know them. They don't know my parents. Um, and, but they've heard me talk about it a little bit. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie turning red. It's a children's movie. It's a cartoon that came out a year or two ago, but it's about generational trauma. Okay. And it's, it's about a little girl that turns into a panda and it's a generation thing. They're in uh, Canada and you see the trauma, like you just see the anxiety that this little girl 13 has with her mom and you see the anxiety her mom has with her mom and you see all of this. And this little 13 year old girl kind of breaks it. She kind of breaks that generational curse. And my nine-year-old at the time, he's probably seven. He goes, mom, I just don't understand this movie. And I said, what do you mean? And he was like, why are her parents really nice sometimes and really mean other times? And I said, well, that happens. Like sometimes that happens in families. And it was just this moment where I was like, he just laid out the whole, like, I just have to tell him now. Like it's, mm-hmm. it was just that moment where you're like, yep, it's time to tell you a little bit of my story. And so I just sat him down and I said, Hey, you know how you don't know my parents, you don't know mommy's mom and dad. And he was like, Oh yeah. Like it didn't even occur to him. He was like, Oh yeah. Like I don't have a grandma and grandpa on, on your side. I was like, it's because they were like that. They were very toxic. That's what that means where nothing is consistent and they either love you or they hate you, or they could be really nice and really mean. And there's no reason for it. It's just, it goes back and forth. And I said, that's how my mom and dad were, is that they could be really mean or really nice. And it would just go up and down. Nothing I did really caused it. It was just, it just depended on the day. And I said, and it got to a point where it just was too much and mom had to let go. So that's why you don't know them because I didn't want them to emotionally and mentally hurt you as well. And so my kids have kind of known that story now for the last couple of years. And the other day, this is going to make me, it makes me look bad, this story, but then it also, we reconcile it. But my six-year-old came up and he was putting on his new school pants. And for some reason they were too small. And he reacted so dramatically that it, I still don't quite figure Like, I'm trying to pinpoint why it triggered me so much, but it did. It just 100% like a switch. I blew up. Like I blew up and now I'm like over freaking pants. Like what? But I was screaming. I was yelling. Like I just could not comprehend why he was freaking out this bad over pants. And it took maybe four minutes. And I just was like, holy crap, Chanel, what did you just do? He's standing there, my six-year-old sobbing, looking so scared. And I just was like, oh my God. Like it was an out-of-body experience where it just like something triggered it. And I just lost my cool. 
And I sat him down and I was, well, we sat on the floor and I said, can I hug you? And he said, no. And I said, okay. And we sat there for a minute and we like tried to talk. And then after about five minutes, he finally climbed in my lap and we just sat there for 15 minutes. Oh, this, yeah, it might make me cry. And <laughs> he goes, and I go, babe, I'm so sorry. Like that, I did not need to act like that. Like, I'm so sorry. This, that was unacceptable. Like there was no reason for me to act like that. Your pants are too small. Like that is uncomfortable. And we kept talking and I had this like light bulb in my head of going, oh shit I just acted like my mom like that's what came and I just thought it I didn't say it and I looked at my six-year-old and I said I'm so sorry I was like do you know who I just acted like and he looks me right in the eyes and he was like your mom huh oh my god I was like (laughs) ouch like stab (laughs) right and I was just like he's six he's six and I was like how did you know that and he goes, well, you've told me about her a little bit. And I just was like, oh my God. And it literally brought me back to an experience as a child. When my mother used to tell me if I ever act like your grandmother. So if my mom ever acted like her mom, she's like, you have to tell me because they had their own issues. Right. Mm-hmm. And one day I did, I said, mom, I was like a teenager. I was like 17 too, maybe even older. And I said, mom, you're acting like grandmother. And she blew up, screamed, flipped out, hung up on me. And I was sitting there with my six-year-old and this was like playing in my mind. And I said, yep, I did. You're right. And he just was like, yeah, I know. And I was like, and I promise that will never happen again. And he was like, you sure? And I said, yeah. And for three days at the table, he goes, I, we would talk about what we're grateful for. And he was like, I'm grateful that mom was nice today. Like it, it went on for days. From and the mouth of babes, like, right? Yeah. Oh. And I just was like, just let him, like, he has to do this. And I can't, I can't act like it's not okay because mm-hmm. I'm trying to teach them that they can express when someone doesn't treat them right, whether it's their friends, their family, their mother, their whatever. But it was just huge aha moment for me where I was like, it hurt and it stung, but I was like, I've done my job. I've done my job that he was able to tell me that. And he felt okay and comfortable to tell me that. And I just sat there and I took it and I just said, you're right. I'm sorry. And you know, but it's so important that you give yourself grace too, because yeah. it's not a one and done healing thing. You know, you don't go to therapy for 10 years and then go, I'm healed. I'm free. I'm this. Yeah. never. You know, I mean, the, the trauma of something like that for so long is so complex and there's so many little nuances and different things that are going to come and go your whole life. And they just are. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the best you can do is the best you can do. And that's what you're doing. Right. Be aware, make amends, and move on because your kids love you. You know, you love your kids. Yeah. Not you're not your mom. You're not your grandma. You're not your probably yeah. great grandma and great great grandma. <laughs> I know, right? It just goes. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I I wrestle with that all the time because it's like I tell my kids, um, it, there's a lot of science behind trauma. It's not just. It is. It's it's not just. Oh, my mom drinks because her mom drank and her mom drank. There's there's way more to it. There's, and I told my kids, if I never picked up a bottle of beer or whatever, a bottle of vodka, you were going to be a co-alcoholic. 
and you were going yeah. to have all of the different DNA changes and you were going to have all that from me no matter what. So you're yeah. going to have to learn your own coping things. I mean, my kids probably wouldn't know half of what I went through, except that I don't remember when it was, but somehow I don't remember even how it started getting, but we didn't start when they were little talking about it. You know, I mean, yeah. they knew that my mother had passed and my mother passed when I was like 17 or 18. So of cirrhosis at 42. So, whoa, yeah. And then their grandfather was an alcoholic and they knew that, but he was a very functioning, loving, kind, mm -hmm. gentle, yeah. man, you know, who was fighting his own demons. They used yeah. to say when he would, when they would spend the night, they would all have like sleepovers and they would all sleep on grandpa's floor. And they said, as soon as his head hit the pillow, he said every single bad word you could possibly think of all night long, just, you know, and all I could think of is, and they were like, after a while, they were like, yeah, we don't really like sleeping with grandpa, but they, on the floor, they all camped out watching yeah. eating popcorn, but they did it until they were 17, but they said they never really liked it. But all I could think of was like, oh my God, the torment to fall asleep and then just literally cuss your way through the next eight hours, every single night of your life. Jeez. You know what I mean? So it's like, but, uh, but awake and coherent, he was the most loving, gentle, kind, you know what I mean? Wow. So it's like, people are like, well, do you wish they had met your mother? Oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. It, no. And my parents are still alive and. I've just had to be very aware because when you go back to like no boundaries, I knew every bad, well, not every, but I knew way more bad things about what happened to my mother at a young age. I knew about my parents' sex life by the time I was 12. Like I just, nothing was off the table. And I, I have been very like conscious of like, okay, my kid is seven. I can tell him <laughs> in a very child-friendly way. Like, and as he gets older and he is very intuitive, as he gets older, we talk about it more, but in a very age appropriate way. Like I just, yeah, I, I remember I actually had an old, old family friend reach out to me the other day and she had had a terrible relationship with her husband at the time they're divorced. I was maybe 13, 14. And my mother, who was her friend, sat me down and told me every detail about her marriage at 13. I obviously never said anything, but I just told her that the other day she reached out. She saw one of my podcasts, like being a guest. And she was like, yeah, like, tell me more about it. Like I had no idea. And I was like, oh, well, I knew all about your marriage. She was like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, I was 13 babysitting your kids. And I knew every single bad thing that happened in your marriage because my mother, she was like, what? <laughs> I was like, she had no filter. I knew everything. I'd go to church and be like, I know that about you. And I know that about you. And I know drama <laughs> and I know this, and I know you're abusing your wife. And I like, I just knew <laughs> all of this, you know, just growing up because she had no filter and she treated me like a spouse in yes. a way, which is where it goes back to that emotional incest. There was no like sexual or physical intimacy, but mentally and emotionally, she dumped all of her stuff onto me. That and was, was who just, I was. There was just no roles that she was not mom or no child. No roles. There was none of that. There was all none of that. And yeah, yeah, no. It, I had to do a lot of the taking care of. I, I even was like more in tune with her disorder than my own dad was. To where there'd be times where I'd be like, "Dad, just leave her alone. Just leave her alone. Stop talking. Leave her alone." But like, 
18 year old shouldn't have to tell their dad that who's been married to her mom for 14 years. Yeah. So it was a very, very, as I got older, looking back, I was like, no wonder this is so confusing. Like, no wonder I'm so enmeshed in this weird mom, daughter, parent relationship. And I just didn't know how to, I didn't know how to adjust to then being a wife of my own and being a mother because I was so connected to her. I mean, at 21 years old, I was still calling her every day for three hours. Mm. I did that until I was like 24, 25. Wow. And that was just normal. It was just like, that's what I had to do every day was talk to my mother for three hours. Wow. And now I'm going to be like, if my kids ever do that, I'm going to be like, get off the phone, like go live your life, go talk to your friends. Like you can call me once a week. Like, obviously I'm going to be there, but like, I'm realizing how everybody was always like, oh, you have such a great relationship with your mom. And now I'm like, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, so it many red so, flags. <laughs> so codependent and so just, oh, uh, so yeah, bad. no. But the good news is there is hope for everybody listening there out hope. there. Like, I, and I say, I keep going back to it. It's just awareness, like being aware yeah. and, and getting the help. I don't know. I mean, I went through many, many years of like just inner child work just to, you know, and I think that's my big message is just that we're all born these beautiful divine creatures and then life beats Happens. the crap out of us. And then what do we do? Because now we think horrible things about the world. We go looking out there in the world for all the things to make it better when really everything is right here. We got, Yeah. you know, we were born with it and we just, we go looking and looking for everybody. <laughs> like what's that song? Looking for love and all the wrong places. I know. Like, you know, and we do it, we continue to do it, but that's awesome. So tell us just to quickly, I know we, we don't want to keep these people on here too long forever, but um, I could talk to you all day. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us quickly what you're doing now and what your future plans are or whatever. Yeah. So now I'm just, you know, taking it day by day, single mom of three, dad's no longer in the picture. So it's just me. Um, so just trying to raise these kids, they, they're in therapy. So I'm trying to really be that like mental therapy, therapy, like just advocate of like, it's good to take care of your mental health, um, mm-hmm. even as a child. And so I'm really, you know, happy about that and the path that they're on. I'm really focused on my job and making sure that I can, you know, provide for my children and just learn as much as I can. Um, I've actually been really considering going to back to school to get a psychology degree. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, just working on being guests on these podcasts and kind of sharing my story and just letting everyone know that like you are important. Most people in dysfunctional childhoods put themselves last. I feel like it's just natural to put yourself last in those types of situations. And it was really hard for me to put myself first, but it made all the difference and not in a selfish way, but just a way of making yourself healthy again so that you can be better for the people that you love. Um, and so I think that would be like my biggest message is just think of you for a little bit and see where that takes you. I was going to say, what's one piece of advice you would give people and it's just <laughs> put yourself first. I mean, think of you, yeah. take care of you. And I know I, it's always to me, it's body, mind, and spirit. Do the whole thing, get the whole yeah. big picture and fix it all. And it's great that you're su- such an advocate, especially for your kids being so young that, you know, you 
that's the biggest thing with me is we have to erase the stigma of mental health disorders, mental yeah. health issues, whatever it is, because your mental health is huge and it, it dictates everything else in your life. You it know, really does. It, it is your body, your, your physical health. I mean, your spirituality, everything, your mental health is, it's all wrapped up together. But if you don't fix that, um, which you can definitely can, we've, you know, we've all discovered <laughs> that. That's a good thing. So I don't know if there's any next step for them to work with you or you're just sharing out sharing your message, right? I'm just out sharing my message for now. Things to come, hopefully, maybe next year. I want to start my own podcast one day. But for now, it's just being a guest, sharing my story and kind of learning the podcast culture and community. And you know you have a book in you, right? I, mean, I do have a book in me somewhere. <laughs> and so easy. So easy. I mean, I know it doesn't sound easy, but you have a no, book in you. And so I do. Next time you're on here or the next time I'm on yours, we're going to be swapping books. I love it. Thank so, you for the motivation. <laughs> there you go. So I just want to thank you, Chanel, for coming on. I appreciate having you on here. It was great. I thank loved you it. So much. I really enjoyed it. You are very welcome. And for all you people out there, remember, tune back in, get more stories of hope and resilience and know again that no matter what, no matter what it is, it can always be overcome. If you've got everything you need right inside of you. Have a blessed day. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. If this episode resonated with you or you think someone else could benefit from what you heard, why not share it with someone you care about? Let's heal from our past and take back control of our lives together. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to www.tammyvincent.com for a free chapter of my book, Surviving Alcoholic Parents. While you're there, be sure to catch my invigorating seminar, Awakening Your Authentic Self. Together, we will rewrite our stories and turn trials into triumphant smiles. Until next time, Keep embracing your strength, keep being you, and know that you are more than enough. You are way more than enough right here, right now.